it's worth it. Today we're looking at who I think is the raging bull of the Bible, Samson. Even though the story of Samson is one of the most famous stories in the Bible, when I accepted the task to speak on him, because no one else on the preaching team seemed interested, I didn't know if I would have anything good to say about this man. The Tyndale Commentary sums up the story of Samson this way. The Samson story is a series of stories relating primarily to Samson's sex life, and his revenge on those whom he sees as acting against his interests. At no stage do we see him expressing any concern for or interest in what might be Yahweh's purposes for him, nor even the well-being of Israel as a whole. He is never pictured as acting in the interests of his people. The text seems to go out of its way to portray Samson as entirely concerned for himself. But what's really complexing about Samson is that he's mentioned in the New Testament in a positive light. In Hebrews chapter 11, depending on your church background, you may have heard this called the uh, Faith Hall of Fame. Here's Hebrews 11. For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets. Through faith they conquered their kingdom, uh, through faith they conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength and weakness, became mighty in battle, put foreign, foreign armies to flight, and women received back their dead to life. Did the writer of Hebrews screw up? Was Samson added as some sort of a joke? So today we're gonna to find out if the raging bull of the Old Testament actually belonged in Hebrews chapter 11. The story of Samson takes place in the book of Judges, and if I could describe the book of Judges with one word, the word I would use is cesspool. Cesspool. <laughs> if you want to get really depressed about the human condition, read the book of Judges. If you get annoyed by overly optimistic people, have that person read the book of Judges, and you will completely destroy their optimism. Last, and I apologize for the mic here, it's a little wonky. Last week, uh, Kenny touched on the early stages of the Israelite march into Canaan, the promised land. But according to Judges, once the Israelites got there, they rejected the very God who gave them the promised land. Throughout Judges, the Israelites turned their backs on God. They're oppressed by various enemies, the Israelites cry out to God, God rescues them, and then it, the vicious cycle starts over and over again. But by the time we reach Samson's story in Judges 13, the vicious cycle has stopped spinning. Here's verse 1. Again, the, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Philistines who oppressed them for over 40 years. The evil done by the Israelites was worshiping other gods besides the Lord God, Yahweh. So the Lord hands over the Israelites to the Philistines. The Philistines were like the Vikings of the Old Testament. They drove their ships to new lands and fought everyone in their way. First it was the Egyptians, but eventually they began to battle the Israelites. But here's the difference with the Samson story and all the other times in Judges 
when Israel did evil in the Lord's sight. In the Samson story, the Israelites did not cry out to God for help. It seems like they had made their peace with the Philistines' rule, and they were content with whatever lives they could make for themselves. But God was going to save Israel, whether the Israelites wanted it or not. Or, as the New American Commentary put it, God's agenda for his people cannot fail, despite the people's seeming determination to commit national suicide. Let's get back to Judges chapter 13 to continue with the story. The angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife and said, even though you have been unable to have children, you will soon become pregnant and give birth to a son. So be careful. You must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink, nor eat any forbidden food. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and his hair must never be cut. For he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. He will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. He will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. There's a theme in the Samson story, a theme of beginnings. And this theme starts here in this passage, Samson will begin to rescue Israel. Which brings us to this term, Nazarite. What is a Nazarite? It's, it's something that's mentioned originally in the book of Numbers. All the days of the vow of his separation, no razor may be used on his head. He will be holy, and he must let the locks of his hair on his head grow long. All the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he must not contact a dead body. He must not defile himself. All the days of his separation, he must be holy to the Lord. God separates Samson from everyone else by giving him incredible strength. Strength that should have been used to begin to free Israel from the Philistines. In return for this strength, Samson needed to keep his vow of not cutting his hair and not touching dead bodies. We're going to find out if Samson keeps his vow. But before then, we want to go back to Judges 13 for two other verses. When her son was born, she named him Samson, and the Lord blessed him as he grew up, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. Samson's name means something like uh, sun-like or solar, like a solar panel. And then here again, we have this theme of beginnings. The Lord began to stir him. All right, so does Samson honor his vows as a Nazarite? Does he really have faith worthy of remembrance in Hebrews chapter 11? Let's start that quest in Judges chapter 14. Samson went down to Timnah. When he approached the vineyards of Timnah, he saw a roaring young lion attacking him. The Lord's spirit empowered him, and he tore the lion in two with his bare hands as easily as one would tear a young goat. But he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. Sometime later, he turned aside to see the lion's remains. He saw a swarm of bees in the lion's carcass, as well as some honey. He scooped it up with his hands and ate it as he walked along. When he returned to his father and mother, he offered them some, and they ate it. But he did not tell them he had scooped the honey out of the lion's carcass. Here we have God giving Samson strength so he can save his life. Then Samson sees honey in the carcass of the lion he killed. He took it and he ate. 
And the writer of the story is structuring this sentence just like the sentence in Genesis chapter 3 when Eve takes the apple. So there's a parallel between Samson and Eve. They both saw, they both took, they both ate, and they were both wrong in doing so. Samson breaks his Nazarite vow. Not only that, by having his parents eat the honey from the lion's corpse, he makes them ritually unclean according to Levitical law. Samson's perversity knows no bounds. His parents had sanctified him, but now he desecrates them, writes Daniel Block in the New American Commentary. Now Hebrews 11 did mention something about closing the mouths of lions, so maybe Samson had some sort of faith in this incident. But let's keep going, let's move to Judges 15, when Samson is arrested by the Philistines. The Philistines came shouting in triumph because they had just arrested Samson. But the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon Samson and he snapped the ropes on his arms as if they were burnt strands of flax and they fell from his wrists. Then he found the jawbone of a recently killed donkey. He picked it up and killed 1,000 Philistines with it. So again, in this part of the story, we see God gives Samson strength so he can save his life. Uh, Samson actually celebrates uh, this victory with a song, which could be translated as he made uh, a donkey out of his enemies. Unfortunately for Samson, because the donkey was still fresh, it was still considered part of a corpse, in which case we witness another violation of his Nazarite vow. So that's two times Samson's violated his vow. And for me, in my opinion, we found no compelling evidence of faith. Which brings us now to the most famous part of the Samson story, when Delilah enters the scene. The Philistines are going to pay her to find out the source of Samson's strength, but her background, her motives are unclear, according to the Tyndale commentary. Neither Samson nor the narrator refers to Delilah as his wife. Perhaps that was a significant factor for Delilah, and she saw herself as owing no loyalty to Samson. The text does not provide us with quite enough information to determine whether Delilah should be seen primarily as a scheming harlot, a hard-headed independent businesswoman playing Samson at his own game, or a victim used both by Samson and the Philistines for their own purposes. Readers are left to determine this for themselves. What we do know is that Delilah and Samson are performing this dangerous dance where she tries to find the secret to Samson's strength, Samson lies to her about her secret. She tries to bound him and hand him over to the Philistines. He breaks free. And so we pick up the story in Judges 16, verse 16. And it came to pass when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death, that he told her all his heart. My hair has never been cut, he confessed, for I was dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as anyone else. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. So the rulers of the Philistines went up to visit her, bringing the silver in their hands. She made him go to sleep on her lap, and then called a man in to shave off the seven braids of his hair. In this way, she began to bring him down, and his strength left him. Then she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. 
When he woke up, he thought, I will do as before and shake myself free. But he didn't realize the Lord had left him. So the Philistines captured him and gouged out his eyes. They took him to Gaza, where he was bound with bronze chains and forced to grind grain in the prison. But before long, his hair began to grow back. Uh, a couple notes about this passage. Um, I actually, I went like 1600s old school. I used the King James Bible for the first couple of sentences. And um, I actually used uh, four different translations here. And I just bring that up to make the point that if you want to, if you're really interested in the Bible story and you want to get into the details of it to fully understand what's going on, you may have to consult various translations. Unless, of course, you know the original biblical languages, which I do not. Um, by Samson telling Delilah that his hair was, well, that his uncut hair was the secret of his strength, we know that Samson understands the vow he has taken before God. But it's clear he doesn't take that vow seriously. And so I ask again, why did the writer in Hebrews mention Samson as having great faith? Uh, the phrase, she made him go to sleep on her lap, is probably a, a euphemism for sexual intercourse. So here we have Samson and Delilah partaking in what's supposed to be an act of lasting love. And instead, they make it into an act of double betrayal. Delilah betrays Samson. Samson betrays God. The New American Commentary sums up this low point in the Samson story. Overnight, a man with the highest conceivable calling, the divinely commissioned agent of deliverance for Israel, is cast down to the lowest position imaginable, grinding flour for others in prison. Samson's sun has set. Remember, Samson, Samson's name is a reference to the sun. And I also said earlier that a theme in the Samson story was a theme of beginnings. So if you go back to Judges 16, we see this theme again. In this way, she began. In this way, Delilah began to bring Samson down, and his strength left him. But before long, his hair began to grow back. So even though we're at the low point of the story, maybe there's some hope that something meaningful is going to come out of Samson's life. But at this point, I still haven't found a lot of faith in the Samson story. So I did a very 2023 thing. I went to chat GPT and I asked, why was Samson mentioned as having faith in Hebrews 11? And here's chat GPT's answer. Hebrews 11 emphasizes that it is not just the heroes of faith who are perfect, but that even those with flaws could be commended for their faith when they trusted in God and acted in accordance with his will. By mentioning Samson alongside other renowned figures like Gideon, Barak, and David, the author emphasizes the idea that faith is not limited to those who never make mistakes, but it encompasses those who, in spite of their weaknesses, continue to believe in and follow God. It's a good answer, but I want us to go deeper. Let's go back to Judges 13.1. We read that the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. If, the, if Israel's evil was that it worshipped other gods besides the Lord, what we see in Samson is the opposite. He showed loyalty to God. He did a lot of wrong. He broke vows. He cared only about himself. He was driven by lust and violence. 
But in the end, when he was a blind slave, here's what happened. Judges 16, starting with verse 23. The rulers of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to celebrate. They said, our god has handed Samson, our enemy, over to us. When the people saw him, they praised their god again, saying, our god has handed our enemy over to us, the one who ruined our land and killed so many of us. Samson called to the Lord. O sovereign Lord, remember me. Strengthen me just one more time, O God, so I can get swift revenge against the Philistines for my two eyes. Samson took hold of the two middle pillars that supported the temple, and he leaned against them with his right hand on one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. He pushed hard, and the temple collapsed on the rulers and all the people in it. He killed many more people in his death than he had killed during his life. Let's first acknowledge that praying to God for revenge on one's enemies isn't the most righteous of prayers. Like I know Revolution's got a prayer team that's being assembled, so if you go to John Connolly and ask him to pray for you for revenge, he'll probably decline that request. Yeah. Um, probably, yeah. But here in the midst, of the, uh, but here in the midst of the temple to the Philistines, in the, in the temple to the Philistine god Dagon, the blind slave Samson cries out to the Lord God Yahweh. Even in defeat, in the presence of the God who apparently defeated him, Samson did not turn away from the Lord. He trusted, he had faith in God. And as I thought about this, I thought about what Jesus said in Matthew 5. You cannot serve both God and money. And in this verse, Jesus was using the word mammon, which basically made money out into a, a personal deity, a God. So even though none of us may be tempted to turn to Dagon or Baal or Zeus, there are still gods out there that we can choose over the Lord. So yes, in this way, we need to have faith like Samson and stay loyal to the Lord, even when it seems like other gods are winning. I skipped over a lot of details in this story. Samson's uh, marriage, uh, the spring that God gave him when he was thirsty. There's, there's a ton here for you to go over, and I hope I've given you enough to want to check it out on your own. But earlier I talked about the book of Judges and how depressing it can be. And now I want to provide an opposing viewpoint. Uh, Father Mike Schmitz hosted the Bible in a Year podcast. Uh, Mike Schmitz is a priest, a Catholic priest in Minnesota. And this podcast takes the entire Bible and splits it up into 365 episodes. And so if you don't like reading the Bible, maybe consider listening to a podcast like Bible in a Year. When Father Mike got to the story of Samson, he said this. The book of Judges is my favorite book to read in times of distress. God raised up at that time this broken human being, Samson. And sometimes we can look to our leaders in the church, in business or in government, and think, is this the best we've got? God's people aren't perfect, and yet they're still his. This is so important for all of us to remember that God's people are not perfect and yet they are still his people.
Honestly, I struggled initially with, with ending the sermon in this way because I was concerned we would be, or I would be communicating that, hey, Samson was broken. Our leaders are broken. No big deal. God used Samson. We can live our broken lives however we want. No big deal. God's going to use us. Everything's fine. But accepting that we are always going to be like Samson defies our theme for this year at Revolution Discipleship. The ultimate goal of discipleship, I think, is to become people who want to live our lives as Jesus would have lived them. Samson chose lust and violence. Jesus chose love and patient endurance in the midst of violence. Samson was focused only on himself. Jesus was focused on God and others. Samson prayed to God for revenge. Jesus prayed to do God's will, even when it meant suffering at the hands of his friends, let alone his enemies. We should want to be like Jesus, not Samson. But Father Mike is right. We are broken people, and it's crucial for us to remember that no matter what, we are his. So what's the takeaway here? What's the application? I would say the takeaway is struggle. The takeaway is struggle. We struggle to be better, to be like Jesus. And yet we struggle knowing we're going to fail. And we are failing. And yet we know we are his. And knowing that we are his, hopefully that gives us strength to try again to be like him. And as we endure this struggle, we can recall that Samson did have faith. He didn't give up on the Lord God for another deity, and God ultimately didn't give up on him. God used Samson to begin to free Israel from the Philistines. To paraphrase Hebrews 11, Samson received what was promised. And as we continue to look at the stories we tell, we find God has begun a plan to free us all. As Kenny talked about a couple weeks ago, God separated the peoples of the earth at the Tower of Babel, but his plan is to bring us all back together. Until then, we struggle to become the people we should be, while being comforted in knowing God is with us, even when we're living more like Samson and less like Jesus.